notes, the title of this morning's message is Excluded from God's Kingdom. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open to Matthew 19. Ooh, oh gosh, that really, yeah, we need to do better than that. We cheer the Word of God when we open it. It's part of our culture. So we're opening up to Matthew 19. Yay, much better. Thank you. So this week, what we're about to read right now is part of this week's Harmony of the Gospels reading. And I'm going to read, we're going to read 15 verses this morning. And as we're beginning to read these 15 verses, I just encourage you to think about the whole topic of exclusion as we're reading these verses. So picking up from verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. I love anywhere where you see large crowds, you know that uh, there's going to be some particularly sort of tough teaching and often people would depart when that happened. So I hope nothing happens like that this morning. So some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate." Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? I find it interesting that he uses the word command. Jesus replied, Moses permitted, not command, you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to open our hearts this morning to your word. Father God, we thank you for your word, that your word brings life, that your word challenges us, it inspires us. Lord God, I pray this morning that as we hear your word, we will not just hear it, but that we will be doers of your word. And so, Father God, we just thank you this morning as I preach this word, as I teach this word, that you would give me the ability to do so, Lord God. And I thank you for every here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it horrible being excluded? 
I'm sure every one of us has had some kind of story or experience of being excluded. Who remembers um, when people used to pick teams at school, you know, for playing games, and the poor person who was the last to be picked... Isn't that awful? They were just standing there. They just no one wanted them because of their ability not to be able to play. I think uh, one of my earliest memories, or the fear of being excluded, was when I started Year Seven. What well, I went to an all-girls school, and it was like all of a sudden immersed into a sea of all these girls. And you knew you had to make some friends fast. And of course, you know, Year Seven. What it was I was about thirteen years of age, and you know, being finding friends and and finding a group of people that you could belong to was really important. I quickly picked up that the people who seemed to make the, the most friends or who were seen as popular were wearing Esprit t-shirts and Converse sneakers. And so they were seen as the cool people, the people that wouldn't be excluded from making friends. So um, I've got a picture of Converse, if I can have that picture up there. Yeah. I wanted a pair of these for my birthday so that I could make friends, so that I wouldn't be excluded. So I put that up on my list of my parents and saying, I want a pair of red Converse. And so when my birthday came, out came this gift and it looked like a shoebox. So I was really super excited. I, I took off the wrapping and there was this shoebox, not with the label Converse, it said Sunkissed. And I'm like, what's Sunkissed? I flipped up the lid and pretty much it was kind of looked like that, but the label said Sunkissed with a star instead of Converse. My parents got me rip-offs. <laughs> now, I know I probably had a lesson to learn that labels don't make you and all that kind of stuff, but I was horrified. I can't wear these Sunkissed shoes, these rip-off shoes. I'm not going to be included. I was so petrified. I actually didn't. I didn't wear them. Isn't that terrible? Because I wanted to be included amongst the people, amongst the girls. I wanted to feel popular. You know, it can happen as when we're child, in childhood that we can feel excluded. It's not nice. And it goes through even into adulthood. I had a friend recently who um, moved from the Bayside area. They used to attend Bayside and they moved to the Ringwood area and started attending a church there. And they'd been in this church for about a year or so and they started attending a connect group. And my friend rang me and said, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, oh, what happened? He said, I was standing there at the end of the service one day talking to um, two couples that were in his connect group that he's going to. And all of a sudden, the two couples started talking about going out for dinner. And they made arrangements about going out to dinner, but they didn't include him. And he just stood there and he goes, what am I, chopped liver? Imagine having this whole conversation in front of someone and feeling excluded. What he, he experienced was a bit of a click and it was an awful kind of experience. And I you know, encouraged him in that conversation of, you know, forgiveness, don't, you know, he wanted to leave the church. I'm like, look, these things happen. You just make a point of not doing that to anyone else. Make sure that you're including people. Well, we just read 15 verses and some of it sounds quite harsh. Some of it sounds a little bit confusing. But what I see is this amazing gospel message weaved through it. And this morning, I'm going to spend a little time unpacking these 15 verses that we've just read. The first people who were excluded that we just read about were people who were divorced. 
You know, the Pharisees came to question Jesus. You know, when the Pharisees come to question Jesus, and they're not doing it because they've got good intention, because they genuinely want to learn. They're always coming to Jesus because they want to test him and, and, you know, put him on the spot and to cause dissension. That's primarily the reason why Pharisees would test Jesus in a large crowd. Unlike some other Pharisees like Nicodemus who would come to Jesus in the middle of the night and ask him questions because he genuinely wanted to learn. So the Pharisees question Jesus and say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, it's important to know that in the day, there were two rabbinical schools of thought. There were two rabbinical schools. The first was Shammai, and this was quite a conservative school. And they believed that divorce is only allowed if one spouse was unfaithful. Now, this was the main school of thought in Jesus' day. Then there is the Hillel rabbinical school. Now, they were more liberal. They believed that a man could divorce his wife if she burnt the toast. In other words... You could divorce your wife for any reason. Who here would probably, most of us would probably, who've been married, would be divorced for that reason if you burnt the toast. That's quite sad. No, I'm not giving you any reasons to do that this morning. Just hear me straight, okay? (laughs) You know, and Rabbi even added that if you found someone more attractive, you could divorce them. Isn't that awful? I mean, you kind of see that today. You see these men who almost seem to go through a midlife crisis and all of a sudden um, they, they set their eyes on a younger woman and commit an, you know, have an affair and then leave the, their wife for someone more youthful. This was happening in Jesus' day. So the Hillel school was actually closer to what the general practice of society was back then not just the Jewish um, culture. And I would say that it's probably a little bit similar to our society. Jesus answers by appealing, and I love this, Jesus gets to the heart of the situation and he answers by appealing to the original design of creation. And he answers by saying, at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. But the Pharisees respond back quite quickly. And they respond back with scripture saying, well, why then did Jesus command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? What they're actually doing is quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24.1, and it should be up behind me, says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds some indecent, something indecent about her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. Wow. Are you noticing something with these passages? That it's all about the men? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about what the men want and what the men um, need and what they can do. What about the poor wife in this situation? This wife just gets a certificate of divorce. I mean, you've got to remember here that the society of the day is that women had no rights. 
women, if a woman was divorced, she was shamed. It's not like she could just go back to her family. There was great shame with being divorced. She was often left destitute. She didn't get an inheritance. She certainly didn't get uh, social security benefits. You know, in some parts of the world today, that is still the case. And so to be divorced was a horrific thing for a woman to go through. And, you know, an awful thing. And and right here, it's like almost that women don't have any... uh, They're not even treated as human. And what I love is that Jesus here is challenging the patriarchal culture, the boys' club culture of this day. And he answers by saying, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So what Jesus was doing right here was standing up for women's rights. He was making men think about, okay, if you do this, what you're actually doing is is committing adultery. You're actually committing a sin. So that would actually stop them in their tracks and think about what they were actually doing and how they were treating women. And I love this because this would have been absolutely countercultural in the day to defend women's rights in this way. You know, I, I grew up in a church which, which, you know, I think people have taken this scripture and used it almost as if uh, divorce and remarriage is the, you know, unforgivable sin. I grew, grew up in a church where people who were divorced weren't allowed to partake in communion. And it always gobsmacked me because I thought, well, isn't God all forgiving? Isn't God gracious? What do the communion emblems mean? And, um, you know, I could never quite understand that. And I think the church has come a long way since then. I think we have, have embraced, I hope, you know, I believe here in this church we've embraced people who have been divorced or remarried. And Pastor Rob has written a great blog. If you want further um, reading on this topic of reasons um, where divorce and remarriage occur, he's written a a blog on the website which you can go to. But Jesus in this statement is probably using hyperbole and that is he's exaggerating a point to, to to come across it, sorry, to get across a powerful truth. And that is that marriage or divorce shouldn't be entered into lightly. You know, it needs to be entered into very prayerfully and, very, and, and with great counsel with wise people. And, you know, and that being said, as I just mentioned a minute ago, we will never here at Bayside Church exclude anyone from fellowship and being part of our family here who've been separated, divorced and or remarried. You are very, very welcome here. Do I hear an amen to that? Yeah. The second area is exclusion by difference. Now, the disciples' response to Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage is that they emphasise the singleness as being a better option than marriage. And And the interesting thing is that Jesus didn't disagree. And neither did the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. And this too would have been countercultural, and I think it's still countercultural today. This week, Pastor Rob um, wrote a blog called The Changing Face of Marriage, and it wasn't about, about gay marriage, just to make mention of that. But I highlighted a part of his blog that I absolutely loved, and I want to read it out to you this morning. 
It says, while marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all these is sexually immoral, that's Hebrews 13.4. It's interesting to note that the two most prevalent characters in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul, did not view marriage as the most important thing. Both men were single and highlighted the single and celibate life as the best way to live, even though marriage was expected of rabbis. When he was teaching about marriage and divorce, Jesus' disciples observed, it is better not to marry, and Jesus didn't disagree. I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and gain insight into some of Paul's teaching on singleness and marriage. He writes, I wish that all of you were as I am, that is, single, but then gives concession to those who can't handle that way of living. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Wouldn't it be interesting to marry some, like you got married to someone just because they were burning with passion, not because you were who they wanted you to be with. You know what I mean? Like it sounds weird. Anyway, how different this is to much of the teaching and attitudes amongst today's Christians and churches, where marriage is viewed as the highest goal to attain, while single people often feel second class and incomplete. When Christy and I announced our engagement in 1994, someone said to me, that's so good, now you will be complete. I quickly reminded them that I have been made complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. A lasting marriage is not two incomplete people coming together trying to fulfil their needs in another person, but rather two complete people complementing each other. It's not a half plus half equals one. It's rather one times one equals one, one flesh and one in Christ. I used to get so tired of people, older ladies were the worst, saying to me at weddings, you'll be next. <laughs> he used to get them back at funerals. <laughs> yeah, so he should. <laughs> I, I love this. I love this teaching um, because I think we have a long way to go, church. Culturally, as a society, we do elevate marriage, coupledom, to the detriment of singleness being another healthy option. And I love the fact that as a church, we are communicating that if you are single, that is wonderful, and you are serving the Lord, that is absolutely fantastic. You know, I have pastored young adults for many years, and one of the things I've noticed is this absolute... Um, desperation to be married, to not be left on a shelf, so to speak, to not be left alone. And as a result of that, and you know, people mean well, people will ask them, oh, have you met anyone yet? When are you going to meet someone? All the questions that create this sort of pressure for people to get married, as that's the only option to live in society. What I've seen as a result, and I've had to pastor it through, is people picking someone just for the sake of getting married, like, That'll do. They'll do. And unfortunately, have to go through horrendous situations where divorce has been the outcome. Now, I don't think they ever intended for that to be the outcome. I don't think anyone who says those marriage vows on their wedding day intends to get divorced. But the pressure that we create in society to be married, I think, is quite unhealthy. And that's part of the reason why this year we ran a singles course called The One Course. And, you know, I was um, 
the course that I led, I led the female course, and you know, I was amazed at how many women in the course felt that pressure from others of, you know, that feeling of being incomplete, even if they were content themselves, the pressure that they feel from other people in society. And so I just want to encourage you as a church family to get around singles, to just champion them on um, because they really need it. The, the Word of God says that he sets the solitary in family, you know. So singles don't need to be on their own. We're in community here and we should be championing one another. That's a little side message to give to you. Matthew 19, 11 verses, sorry, Matthew 19, 11 to 12 says, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Jesus here is referring to three types of eunuchs. Those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, referring to those who by their own free choice and for the glory of God's kingdom abstain from marrying. They are voluntarily remaining single and celibate and commit their lives to serve God and his people. And we honour those people this morning who have made that choice. Then he mentions eunuchs who were born that way and eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by others. Refers to those who are unable to function sexually within a heterosexual marriage. Um, People like that may choose not to marry or if they've already married, there needs to be an open and honest communication between husband and wife about making a choice to keep the marriage together because of the many other positive things that the marriage brings. A friend, a friend of my sister's, a very good friend of hers, um, hers uh, I think the husband was in his probably mid-40s. They had two small children. He unfortunately had a massive stroke, which led to him being a quadriplegic. Now, you can imagine the upheaval, the challenges that that would bring to the marriage. And I've watched this family now. I think it's been a good uh, 15 to 20 years. I've watched that marriage still stay together. And it's absolutely wonderful. The wife is a God-fearing woman. Um, She's committed to her husband, serving her husband. Unfortunately, just because of the, the physical demands of looking after him, he's in a nursing home. But she includes him in the family structure as much as possible. She hasn't used it as a reason to leave the marriage and to, um, you know, go and find someone else. She's committed in serving him in in her marriage and to honour the commitment that she made on the the day that they married. And I just think that's amazing, amazing. Um, Examples of people Jesus may have been referring to could be those with a certain disability or impotence, people who have same-sex orientation or have had surgery that has rendered them incapable of sexual intercourse. It also includes those who are intersex, that's hermaphrodites, a general term used for a variety of conditions in which a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit the typical definitions of male or female. Intersex people, just like Jesus said, are born that way. All these people that Jesus mentions were excluded from temple worship according to the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No eunuch 
is to enter the congregation of God. <laughs> I love the King James Version of this and I wish I could say it in my posh English, English accents. He that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. How did they know? Like, how did they monitor that? Like, I think I've got a new uh, task for our CIA team. It actually gives a new definition to the CIA team. Sorry, helps team. But... Then there's this amazing, wonderful promise that speaks of a time when that would change in Isaiah 56. It says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, and the foreigners are speaking to, the, to Gentiles and those of foreign nations, let them say, The Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. How stunning is that? And, you know, we see this actually then start to transpire in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we read about Philip. And Philip is in uh, Samaria and he's ministering in Samaria. And this is amazing revival that just breaks out. And there's signs and wonders. People are getting saved and people are getting healed. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just taps on Philip's shoulder and says, I want you to depart from here and I want you to go down the desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And so Philip obeys him, not knowing for what reason he's doing that. And he's on this desert road. And then all of a sudden he sees this chariot and he sees this African Ethiopian man in a chariot reading Isaiah. And he's listening to him. And he comes up to the guy and he says, do you know what you're reading? And he goes, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't understand unless someone explains it to me. And so Philip begins to share the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch. He was a eunuch and he was part of Queen Candace's court. And he begins to explain to him the gospel and the man receives Christ. And then right there and then they baptise him. There must have been a river nearby. They baptise him. And church tradition says that this eunuch went back and he then spearheaded the gospel in the northern parts of Africa. How amazing, through one man, the gospel then spreads right through the northern parts of Africa. Eunuchs were no longer bound from God's presence. Absolutely stunning. The last point that I want to make this morning is exclusion by development. And Jesus speaks of children. He speaks of children being hindered. Um, Children were coming to him and the disciples rebuked the children from coming. Now, children represent the powerless represent powerless people in society. And, you know, the disciples had no time for the children because, you see, they saw the kingdom of God being built on powerful people with arms. That's how they thought they were going to seize the kingdom of God. But Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them that, no, 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 
The only truly the ones who are going to build the kingdom of God are those who are powerless, those who depend upon God, those who come to God with childlike faith and trust. They are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of God, not the powerful but the powerless, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I want to read to you this morning a beautiful welcome in conclusion of this message, a beautiful welcome that was used at a church overseas. It says, Welcome. We extend a special welcome to all who are single, married, divorced, gay, filthy rich, dirty poor, and don't Habla Inglés, that's speaking English. We extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you can sing either like our music leader, beautiful Dale, or like our pastor, no, 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 not me, who can hardly carry a note in a bucket, yeah. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more Catholic than the Pope, haven't been in church since little Joey's baptism or have never been in church ever. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but have not grown up yet and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome single parents, gay parents, all parents, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or still addicted. We welcome those who are having problems or down in the dumps and those who don't like organised religion. We've been there too. If you blew all your offering money before you arrived, you're welcome here. We offer special welcome to those who think the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work, can't spell or because grandma is in town and she wanted you to go to church with her. We welcome those who are inked, pierced or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down their throat as a kid or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers and doubters, bleeding hearts, and we welcome you. Amen. (laughs) Can I just ask you to bow your heads in prayer? I just want to give an opportunity while every eye is shut this morning for you to receive an invitation. I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus loves you. Jesus desires a relationship with you and He welcomes you. The Bible says He stands at the door of our heart and He knocks and all we need to do is open the door. Now, I don't know every person here this morning and I don't know if you already have a relationship with Jesus. You may be sitting here and you do. But if there's anyone in this place and you have never opened that door, you've never allowed Jesus into your heart, maybe you have sat in many church services, but you've actually never opened the door of your heart and said, Jesus, come in. I would love to pray a prayer for you this morning. And all you need to do is just to acknowledge to me that you would like me to pray that prayer for you. And you can just slip up your hand while every head is bowed and every eye shut so no one can see apart from me. Is there anyone here this morning who would like me to pray with you? Yes, I see your hand. Beautiful. Anyone else who'd like to invite Jesus into their life? 
Okay. Well, I'm just going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to pray this prayer together. One lady has lifted up her hands. And that is the best decision. It's the most phenomenal decision. It's asking Jesus to come into our hearts, to become Lord of our lives, because He loves us with an everlasting love. And so let's just all pray this prayer together. And the lady who lifted up her hand, you just pray this from your heart. Father God, I thank you for Jesus, your son, that he died on a cross for me. Lord God, I open that door and I invite Jesus into my life. I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life, to wash me clean, to set my feet anew on a new path. I thank you that you promise to be with me for all my days. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And I give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. How wonderful. Let's give a round of applause. And to the lady who lifted up her hand, I would love to give you a Bible at the end of this service if you would love to come up to me. Thank you.